Oh, I thought I was jacked. Check, check me out. <laughs> and again, hey, you want to talk old technology? No such thing as selfies back then. That was my poor brother who I begged and pleaded, hey, can you take this tough picture of me? And he was like hating every minute of it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character with Ryan Satin. This week, we've got someone who I find so much inspiration, and I'm very, very excited to have this conversation today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, NXT announcer, Beth Phoenix, WWE Hall of Famer as well. I don't want to undersell her there, uh, but a huge, <laughs> huge fan of yours. Uh, I, watched, I watched your WWE Icons documentary last night, and I have to confess to you, Beth, I was crying like the whole time. It is such an inspirational oh, tale. Like I was, and I realize, you know, it's not the manliest thing to say. You were crying for an hour or whatever, but like I was so inspired <laughs> from beginning to end while watching it just because you've gone through so much in your career to get to where you wanted to be and it, and it worked. You know, you put in the work, you put in the time, you put in the energy to the things that you were passionate about. And it's so cool to see what you've made in your career. And I just, I'm super happy to see that it all worked out for you. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for watching the documentary and, you know, and for giving me that awesome feedback. Uh, my intention was not to make anybody cry. So I hope you, <laughs> I hope it was inspirational tears. Yeah, it was. And I won't tell anybody. <laughs> no, no, it, it was inspirational tears because man, like, I don't think, I think there are a lot of people who watch wrestling who are very familiar with you who don't know that this has been a lifelong thing for you since you were five years old. Like, I, I've been a fan of yours for a very long time, and I didn't even know that, that, you know, this was like something that you watched with your grandparents, and it was something that you wanted to do at that young of an age, and then you did it. Like, that's, that's super cool, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I think um, also kind of the generation that I came from, also, you know, the women now, we have a lot more, and not just the women, the men, we all have many more outlets to share these personal stories. Whereas kind of when I was wrestling as the Glamazon, like we had WWE Magazine, you know, and most of the time we were, we were staying in character. We weren't having these conversations, you know, maybe with a newspaper, but we still were keeping guarded, like a lot of these, like, background stories and things that didn't contribute to the on-screen character. Whereas like, I feel like in today's tech world, like we're, we're able to share as much of ourselves as we want. And um, yeah, it, it was really nice to do the icons documentary, not only to like let everybody into myself, but also my family, my world, where I came from, my high school wrestling coach, like some things that, you know, were a huge part of building my story and building my, my life's journey. But I didn't necessarily get the chance to kind of like get, you know, to share that with the WWE universe. I also think that, you know, this generation right now probably has no idea how diff how how much different it was for uh, a woman or, you know, a young girl to get into wrestling in high school back when you were doing it. Like I, you know, I similarly got into high school wrestling because I liked watching it on TV and it just seemed like fun to kind of do something like what I watched on TV. But, you know, in watching your documentary, you had to go through much more than what just like any other boy signing up would, would have to do to, to get on the team. And, it's the fact that you were inspiring people even when you were in high school to go, you know, be trailblazers and, you know, inspiring another girl to join the lacrosse team and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think it's crazy. I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's so cool that, that you've been pushing and pushing and pushing even then. And, and so um, I really hope that more people go watch this Icons documentary because it really is uh, cool to see someone pushing that hard, you know, for, for so long. And, the, the high school wrestling stuff, that's so cool that you did that. I had a girl on my high school wrestling team, and she kicked ass. So it, I, I, uh, 
I think that now it's normal, but then it, it wasn't. Yeah, and you know, um, I was actually just talking to Tony D'Angelo about this last night, how important it is to grow uh, a sport like wrestling that wasn't really available to the girls. Like, it's not necessarily a great situation to have intergender wrestling, have, you know, high school level boys and girls wrestling each other. There's a lot of awkwardness there. And it takes away from the sport and the true spirit of what we wanted to do in the competition. And so I'm so proud to have been like a little part of helping you know, advance the interest in that sport and um, and to have been, you know, to, to say I was kind of on the ground floor, uh, you know, wrestling was introduced to the Olympics in 2002. And uh, so like that kind of happened as like right after I finished high school and finished my amateur career. And then it was so neat because at NXT, we had Tamira Mensa Scott there or stock, excuse me, Tamira Mensa stock, who was, you know, our first female black Olympic wrestler from the United States. And, you know, it was so neat to have to be in the presence of a woman who has accomplished so much. And, you know, we're at the point now where we have Olympic gold medalists, females, you know, meddling in wrestling, whereas it, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it wasn't even available as a sport to women in the Olympics. So I just, it was so cool to see her and meet her and, uh, and just kind of see where the sport's grown. Well, I think, I mean, that's that right there is like what I'm talking about of just like, you know, you grew up this diehard fan, you know, you're you do wrestling, you're going to shows even, you know, whenever you can. Um, and now you've grown into become this icon of the industry who got to inspire countless women to follow in her footsteps, just like, you know, China did for you. You know, I think that that's that's the dream. Yeah, I mean, China was massive for me when I remember seeing her on the screen and just being enamored. You know, there wasn't a lot of these big female like superhero uh, role models growing up for myself, you know, in the 80s and 90s. I, you know, I had Wonder Woman, you know, I, I remember seeing Corey Everson in the female bodybuilding world and be like, whoa, she's like a human superhero. And then as a teen, seeing China come along, like just this woman that was hanging with the men and and there was a fearlessness with that. And then of course, like all of the, the groundbreaking things she did, like being a part of the Royal Rumble and just representing women in a different way than I had seen before. And so she broke through as like a mainstream media personality. And I think that she was a huge influence on a lot of females in seeing women presented in a different role, really as an equal with the men. Yeah, I feel like Instagram now it's, there's so many women like that, of you know, muscular women that are that are representing for that side of things. But back then, China was it. China was it. And, you know, it's not even just about physique. It's about like presentation. It's about, you know, putting a woman out, a brand out that we can look at that that represents, you know, it was equality at the time. You know, women wanted more, wanted to be treated with respect and treated as more than just, you know, sexual objects or, you know, beauty objects. Like we, we felt, and I, I myself felt, and I'm sure a lot of women felt this way, that we, we were capable of more and we deserve more. And, you know, China was one of those women that really did a, a, a great job of inspiring a generation, myself included, of women that uh, felt like she broke down that barrier to where we're like, okay, this is possible so that women like me could walk through the door. Well, you know, in watching your icons, I feel like, you know, you you were given every reason to give up along the way, you know, every reason. There were so many reasons along the way, you know, whether it's not fitting the mold at the time or, you know, the heart stuff for tough enough or, you know, getting your jaw broken. You so many times where you could have been given reasons to quit your parents, you know, your mom, not necessarily pushing you to go towards wrestling. Um, was it hard to keep doing that 
when you had so many things in your way that are telling you to stop? Um, it was, it was hard in the moment, of course, but I was just so damn stubborn that, uh, there wasn't a roadblock that kind of came in front of me that I didn't, you know, feel like I'm going to figure out how to do this. Like in my household, I have the nickname, break it Beth, you know, spawned from the wreck it Ralph, uh, movies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I felt like break it Beth. If I can't go around this roadblock, I'm going to go through it. There is no way anything is going to stop me from getting what I want. And, you know, that was working for the WWE. That's what I wanted. And, um, and, you know, and I also think that trials and tribulations make for better character. And, uh, it also taught me a lot of respect and gratitude for those that helped me along the way. Cause that's the thing. I didn't do it all on my own. I had so many people advocating for me and opening doors and helping me. And because I had those challenges, I realized how important it is to have relationships and connections in our industry. And, and they really truly were the reason why I was able to kind of like get through and around those roadblocks that and being extremely hard headed. <laughs> <laughs> but it does help to have someone who believes in you along the way at some point. And I feel like, you know, in, in, you know, in watching your documentary, you had a, I believe his name was Ron Hutchinson who believed in you the beginning. And then Molly Holly, you know, where, you know, Molly Holly, you know, you wait in this line at access <laughs> to meet Molly Holly and give her your VHS tape, which anyone young watching this now will not understand the difference between technology now and then, but you're waiting in line with your VHS tape. And then, you know, you finally get up there and you get to hand it to her and she watches it. And then she actually does these things to help you get in the business and then pays for your training. I just think that, you know, to me, it, it always takes like those few people who really believe in you to get someone over the hump. And it feels like, you know, Molly Holly was that for you. Yeah. And I think it, you know, one really special thing about wrestling is because it's an art form. It's not a science. It's not math. You know, wrestling is an art and it's a, there's a culture with it. And part of that was, you know, it, it was it took a lot of like paying dues or whatever to earn friendships and respect. But at the same time, those those bonds were really special. And those that really loved wrestling, you know, they they would contribute to helping others. Like and, you know, Molly will be the first to tell you that, you know, Randy Savage, Lanny Poffo, those were men that uh, opened doors for her and helped her along the way fit Finley. And, you know, her attitude was to pay it forward and help help somebody else along that, you know, she saw some potential in. And so, you know, those kindnesses paying it forward, it only begets more kindness. You know, when somebody does something nice for you, I, it's it's very rare that you're like, oh, thanks, see you, bye. You know, usually that inspires you to pay it forward to somebody else. And I think that that's an important, an important part of our culture in wrestling. We, we want to, you know, foster wrestling succeeding by continuing to help the next generation. I laughed when in that particular story when you're talking about Molly Holly in the documentary because I, I'm going to sound so old when I say this, but, but like kids have no idea how hard it was that there was no, there wasn't that connection. There wasn't just, a, you know, a, a famous person readily available on the other side of their phone that you could contact and hopefully uh, meet in person. Like this was your one shot, you know, you had a VHS tape and one chance. Yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting. You can't get a DM. You can't tag somebody in a tweet. <laughs> it's literally, you know, like, like you said, this, a VHS, which if you Google it, guys, it was this giant hunk of plastic that had two reels of tape in it. 
And if you wanted to, you know, back in the day when we would make, you know, these tryout tapes, you would have to take one, you had to have two VCRs side by side and, you know, hit record and play and copy. And, you know, it was, it was a bit of a process, not to mention getting a, a copy of your match with a, you know, an old camcorder about this big. Um, now I'm dating myself, Ryan, so don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things where if the door was open just a crack, like it, there was so much hope and excitement attached to that because just the fact that I could communicate with Molly Holly and and again, like through her, I met I made more connections in wrestling, and um and and the more people I met, you know, she Molly was integral too in teaching me etiquette and how to how to communicate with everybody and how to show respect and shaking hands and and to me that was a really important part of our business because it was trust building you know i wanted people to trust me as a, as a performer i wanted the company to trust me but i also want my peers to trust me with their bodies in the ring you know you need trust when we're going out and doing what we're doing i also think for you it feels like you know because you were on the other side uh you know as a fan for so long you wanted to make sure that you were giving the utmost respect to the business as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I loved wrestling. It was so, I still love wrestling. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this in, in my forties if I didn't sit and love watching wrestling all day long. That's what we do. My husband included. And, you know, I think, I think, that it wasn't always rewarded in our business to be a fan. Like it was something kind of, we had to hold close to the vest a little bit because you didn't want people to perceive you as not able to hold the weight of being a performer. Um, so we didn't necessarily talk about, oh yeah, man, I grew up watching Bret Hart. You know, you, you wanted to walk into the business and be respected as a peer of Bret Hart, not like a little fan of Bret Hart. But now I feel like that's changed again with social media. It's invited to share parts of ourselves. So now we can talk about the stories and, you know, Bailey can share pictures of herself standing in line, getting signatures from her favorite superstars because it adds to it. It doesn't take away. It adds to our fan base, seeing how connected we are to wrestling, that we love it. Like that little picture right there, I had to keep that a secret for a long time, <laughs> you know, because again, I felt like I, I have to be perceived as a peer, not as a fan. And so, uh, I like that things have changed because I think our fan base loves seeing that we love wrestling as much as they do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. When it, it helps you, you know, relate to the people you're watching on TV when you know that like it's it's someone who's like you in the ring who lived out their dreams. Those pictures, I, I made sure we put them up there because they're so good. The one of you posing next to the Brett uh, thing that you Brett logo that you made is so good. Oh, I thought I was jacked. Check check me out. <laughs> And again, hey, you want to talk old technology? No such thing as selfies back then. That was my poor brother who I begged and pleaded, hey, can you take this tough picture of me? And he was like hating every minute of it. Then you have to take it to the CVS where they develop the photos. It was a process, guys. Selfies are awesome because you could take 40 of them and pick the perfect one. With the old rolling cameras, man, you had to just <laughs> cross your fingers that you, your eyes weren't closed. The only problem is I feel like we don't value pictures as much now because it was so hard to get them developed before. We'd have all these picture books and you'd have all these things lined up. Now it's just your wall. You got them on your Facebook wall and yeah. you hope that your Facebook wall never goes away. Yeah, there was no filters back then. It, it was what it was. <laughs> yeah, since we're on the topic of technology, it was so funny in your in the icons thing where you're ringside or not ringside when you're in the aisle for Razor Ramon and Savio Vega, 
and I was laughing when you're talking about how you took like the first 10 pictures uh, of the film because you were so excited and then you ran out you had like half of your film left at that point and I was like man I forgot that at a certain point like you only had 24 pictures or something like that on the little handy cam ones you know Oh yeah, you had to you had to be judicious, barter out those photos, and I just lost my mind. I was so excited because they were arm's length away, and so I was just clicking and rolling and clicking and rolling, and then I was like, "Oh my God, there's four hours of of wrestling taping, and I only have five pictures left." And so then I was just like sweating the whole night, like which which match am I going to use this photo, this, these last remaining photos on? So, but you know, again. <laughs> you know, champagne problems. It was great that I got to be able to see WWE live at that age because, you know, it, if I wasn't obsessed with it before, you know, being there in person and just kind of feeling the energy and also being surrounded by people just like me that love this and were as lit up and excited to be there as me. I was like, oh, this is the magic that I've seen on the screen. You know, feeling it in person was so much bigger. So, you know, another thing in your doc, you know, I, we, I kind of brief, briefly touched on it where, you know, your mom seemed to not be super stoked on you becoming a wrestler. Did proving her and others wrong kind of fuel you back then to a certain degree? Um, you know, my proving my mom wrong was never a motivation for me. Um, it was I, I, I wanted to convince her at some point that uh that this that you know me chasing my dream and me doing something crazy was going to pay off. there was going to be a payoff you know it wasn't necessarily like i'm going to spite you i'm going to get i'm going to show you guys it was more like i'm going to do this and i want you in the end to see why i want you to understand my motivation i'm just i'm not just you know joining the circus and being insane like i i definitely felt very i felt a conviction in my heart that i wanted to be a part of change and i and i also wanted to be I wanted to make people feel like Savio and Razor made me feel, you know, and like Owen Hart and Bret Hart made me feel. I, I wanted to provoke those emotions in other people and have fun doing it. You know, since she wasn't, you know, since you did have to, you know, show her that, is it important for you as a parent now to kind of foster the dream, you know, the, the goals and dreams that your children have? Yes. And so you know, Adam and I are swimming uphill a little bit on that because both it's like the family business with us, right? Not only do you have two parents that had the same occupation, but it happens to be a, a pretty big occupation with big implications. I mean, there's edge dolls, edge posters, they go to school, you know, they know who, who my children's parents are. And so there's some weight to that. So we've worked really hard. Um, you know, my, my eldest is turning eight. So for the last eight years, we've worked really hard to not let our lives and our jobs cast a shadow on them because we just want them to do what they want to do. And if it happens to be wrestling, great. But if it's, if it's something else, we don't want them to feel any pressure like, oh, I, I should get into the family business type of thing. And I think, I think our kids have a real good balance where they have their own interests, you know, and right now they don't, you know, they're not really impressed by me and Adam. They, you know, they, they, they find, uh, you know, Auntie Natty is like one of their favorite human beings on earth and, and Auntie and Uncle TJ, you know, but they, they don't, uh, they, they, they aren't enamored with it just yet. So we shall see what happens. If they do become enamored, it'll be their choice to do that. Yeah. I remember Edge was on the first episode of the show and he said it was very important for him to, to make sure he put, you know, he helps foster his kids' dreams and stuff for, for similar reasons. But since you said that right there, did, were they watching you in the Royal Rumble? Uh, no. Okay, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> that, that was, 
So that's a, that was our biggest fear from the beginning. And we've been super careful to impart with them because, you know, Adam was on Vikings and stuff. And sometimes it, there'd be some confusion, like he would FaceTime us and be in the whole Viking regalia with a big prosthetic nose and the beard and the costume. And it was scary and it scared my daughters. They were like, oh, is this is this a movie? What What's happening? Like they had a hard time because they were so little understanding this is a costume and blah, blah, blah. So we kind of go through that explanation at nauseum with them just because we want them to understand this is not mom and dad. This is our job. And um, and, and we just don't we want them to not be fearful of that. So that being said, we discussed, oh, should we take the kids to see me at the Royal Rumble? You never know. That could be my last time in the ring ever. And then we decided at the last minute, no, they're a little too young. And lo and behold, I was gushing blood half the match. So <laughs> it ended up being a good thing that they weren't traumatized by that. My, uh, that the moment between you and Edge after that they show in Icons is my favorite scene in all of it because it's such a fun glimpse into your guys' relationship where he's like, you look like a badass out there. You looked so <laughs> badass covered in blood. So badass. Everyone back here was saying you're a badass, but you looked great too. Looked fantastic. And I just, I, I love how, how he covered both of them there. Like, looked badass, but also you just looked great. You looked beautiful out there. You know? Oh, he's, you know what? He's such a great supporter. Like, we're, we bust each other's chops. I think my favorite part of our relationship is that we're like, we're best friends. You know, like, we, we pick on each other, we laugh together. I could spend all day with him. And I'm, I, and you know, I don't, I don't get sick of him. I don't know if he thinks the same. <laughs> but you know i i just i love being with him and uh it was so cool to be able to share a few moments in wrestling because we've never we've never done that we get to share the moments you know backstage and never on screen together but um but it was nice to be able to like i was like i'm in the ring you're wrestling tonight it was just a wild night and so i'm glad that the documentary captured some of that because it was pretty cool I thought for sure when Seth Rollins raided your guys' house that you were gonna like pop out of a door or something like <laughs> in full Glamazon gear, ready just to like stick up for your household. I got a lot of feedback on that, but uh, you know, I, I didn't. We we discussed a couple of different things, but you know, I we didn't want to take away from what Seth and you know Adam had going on, and it was it was fabulous. I mean, the storytelling was perfect. And the one thing that I feel real confident in is like, I'm, I'm a chameleon. I can fit any role that I need to be. If I need to be, you know, a China type of character that's kicking butt, I feel confident I can do that. If I have to be Miss Elizabeth and, you know, scared in the corner, I can do that. If I can, you know, and I've learned to be a commentator and, and a different type of role where I'm, you know, helping to build other characters as well. Um, but I, I'm confident that whatever my role is, that I, I can execute it. Well, I want to talk about you as an announcer, but first, before we get there, I don't want to completely gloss over your wrestling career because obviously you've had a legendary career. Um, you got the name Glamazon from a Sex in the City episode? Yes, yes. So I had heard the term, I just heard the term and I was like, oh, that's a wrestling moniker. And at the time, you know, women, we, we weren't, other than like the ninth wonder of the world, the women weren't really branded with a moniker like The Rock, you know? And I just felt like um, I was kind of in a transitional period in the women's division, like that that era that I was in was, it, you know, we had lost a lot of the, um, the golden era, so to speak, Trish, Jazz, you know, Lita, all those characters. And we were like, we were rebuilding, we we're rebuilding the division. And during that landscape, there wasn't girls with that moniker. It was more using their names. And I felt like I, I was just trying to do everything I could to stand out. 
And so I was like, I'm just gonna brand myself the Glamazon and wear a, a tiara. So if I only get 30 seconds on TV, you're gonna be like, you might not, you know, remember my name, but you'll be like, oh, that's the girl with the tiara. That's the tiara girl. Or, you know, I was hoping Glamazon would be a good hook. So, you know, a name like Beth might be a common name, but you might remember, ooh, Glamazon, that's kind of neat. Oh, and she's like a, you know, she's like a big Amazonian type of woman. And I was just trying to connect with the audience to give them something memorable so that among, in the women's division, I would be one that would stand out. I think sometimes people underestimate how important it is to create a character like that because, you know, at that point, you were already good as a wrestler. You've been wrestling for a good amount of time. You were sound in the ring, but it was really that character that took you to the next level. And I feel like working on creating a character that might resonate with people in some way is key in getting noticed by management. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, if any young talent in NXT comes and talks to me, that's what I tell them. Characters, characters get over, you know, like connect and, and know who you are so that no matter what the circumstances it, are in front of you or what other person you're wrestling that night if you know who you are you will always you'll always be able to convey that to the audience but if you're kind of not sure it shows it shows that you don't know who you are and you're not quite sure and you're kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall our audience i feel like really connects with characters that are real definable and that know themselves you know yeah. sasha banks is the boss and she comes out and, oh, I get it. I get Sasha Banks, you know, like she's a real tight package. And and in our in our fast moving business, you want to be a tight, tight package that is branded really well. Yep. I mean, the, the, you know, the, a lot of the famous wrestlers, you know, legends that you remember, you can explain who they are in like very quick, you know, like Million Dollar Man is a very easy character that everybody remembers. And you can very quickly explain who they are and what they're about. And, and people can resonate either they're going to hate it or they're gonna love it. And I feel like you, you know, in the documentary, you said something that, that applies to this. You said, I won the WWE Women's Championship when I stopped trying to be the next Trish Stratus and I started to be the first me. And I think that that's relates to all of this where you can, when you find your character, it changes everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, um, you know, I was, I had figured out that I can take little elements of my favorite wrestlers and my favorite characters but I can't come out and cosplay Bret Hart. I can't come out and cosplay China because then I'm just a copy and nobody wants the copy. They want the original, they want the OG. And so, you know, I tried to take little flavors of my favorite things and contribute to, you know, my broader work. But in the end, I had to find my thing and stick to it, especially with, at that time, we're working with a limited amount of TV time for the women. You know, you didn't have a lot of time to screw around. You had to have, like I said, you had to have your brand dialed in and know what you were out there to do. And I, I just stuck to my guns consistently and try and tried to build that character. And even from the point of my outfit, I wasn't really concerned about wearing cute outfits on TV or, you know, you know, I don't know, dresses or whatever. I was always in the same gear because again, I'm like, if you saw me on TV, you're like, oh, I recognize you. And again, my mind was always thinking about video games and action figures. You know, it's a consistent action figure that, you know, oh, that's the Beth Phoenix doll. I think that, you know, because you, you mentioned Tony D'Angelo a little bit ago. Um, he's a good example of that, of somebody who, you know, has gotten over in like, what, three or four weeks or so, very short amount of time because he clearly knows the character that he's playing on TV right now. He knows the character. 
the and, and it resonates with the audience. I, I don't want to say it's a simple character because it's not. There's a, there's a million layers to it, but it's a familiar character. Other, you know, other characters in WWE have brought some of those flavors and he's pulling from other inspirations and, you know, maybe TV and movie characters as well. But we get it when he hands a dead fish with Dexter Loomis's name pinned to it. We know what that means. Yes. You know what I mean? Like he's speaking the language of the audience. And when you do that, the audience instantly attaches because they're like, oh, no, who's he going to whack next? <laughs> yes. Like they, their minds start spinning and they start building these possibilities. And that's our we want to engage people. We don't want to leave them confused. We want to leave them asking questions like cliffhangers, like what's next? You know, so, yeah, again, like that was a character that even with the vignettes right away, people are like, oh, OK, I know what that is. What would happen if you put him in the in the ring with, you know, Dexter Loomis, you know, this serial killer, essentially character, you know, like what what what's that going to look like? You know, so serial killer with a heart, though, serial killer with a heart with a, a an adorable serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I remember, you know, when the switch to NXT 2.0 came about and there was all this, you know, there's all this discussion over it. Um, I do think that one of the, the positives that has come out of it is character work you know i think that you know as much as i loved the the nxt version before and the great wrestling um i do feel like right now i'm we are seeing more like fully formed characters that might be able to transition to raw or smackdown yeah i think what what we're selling has changed a lot you know we we were selling great wrestling for a very long time and it worked especially when we were we were building a women's evolution revolution whatever you want to call it at that time we needed to see the women wrestle for long periods of time and show that they could go and nxt was a huge part of that you know like showing that women can have these matches and giving them the time you know i think nxt opened doors for a variety of body types, you know, like wrestlers of varied sizes, you know, we, we were just seeing these different guys that they could do different things in the ring because they weren't all seven feet tall and, um, and, and the speed and, and just also developing a new fast paced style that really resonated with our audience. It, it's caught on, yep. you know, and, um, and, and, but we're, we're, we're still producing superstars, but the motivation is different. Now the motivation is like you said, more character work, and creating characters that really get in under your skin and characters that you really attach to. And, and a lot of that, especially if you know yourself and a lot of our young talent are working on figuring that out, then that really resonates and, and then the door opens. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that there are some really promising talent there right now. Like I think Braun Breaker is someone who is gonna be a huge deal. I like the Creed brothers, you know, Indy Hartwell was part of both versions of NXT, but she's just a star in the making. I think that there's a lot of like really talented people that are on the cusp of finding themselves there right now. Yes, that's you hit the nail on the head, finding themselves because they've all got that character inside. A lot of them are very young and also just getting reps too. And in those reps and experimenting and trying new things and taking the cuffs off and throwing spaghetti at the wall and crossing your fingers, sometimes you strike gold. And, you know, you, you mentioned the Creed brothers. I love those guys. So good. Like they are, they put it all out there and I buy what they're selling. They know who they are. They're a tight package. Diamond Mine, I think as a group is fabulous. And I think that, you know, we just scratched the surface on Ivy Nile. And then you have a veteran like Roderick Strong, who's such an important 
leadership role. You've got the colorful manager with Bivens. You know, he he really like I wish you guys could see in the commercial breaks how Bivens gets the audience so worked up. He's fantastic at what he does. And it's just such a great like dynamic in there. And and that's what we're trying to do in NXT is build these like groups with these wonderful interactions. Yeah, Diamond Mind has such a cool vibe to them right now. Like they feel like such badasses. And you're right. It's it's every piece of it. Ivy seems like a total badass, like someone you would not want to fight. Uh, you know, all of them. I but Creed Brothers, especially because I like amateur wrestling. When I see them, I'm like, oh man, those guys would kick the crap out of you. Yeah, there's authenticity to it. When they're shooting a, you know, a single or a double leg, I mean, the, you, you, these are collegiate level athletes doing this. This is not like you know, we're not just going through the motions here, play wrestling. This is, these are guys that know how to toss a body and like just what they do is very impressive, but they're, com they're full committal, they're, you know, their commitment on their faces. Like you can just tell they believe what they're doing because they're, they're legit. <laughs> and, and that plays, it comes across. Yes, absolutely. I remember Gerald Briscoe before uh, Julius Creed signed with, with the company. I remember I was talking to him about some of the people he was, out there uh scouting and he had said to me like keep an eye on that guy he could be future like top guy in a company like keep your eye on him and when he first wrestled you know a few months ago now on tv i i saw it i went oh okay that that's what gerald briscoe was talking about yeah there's something to be said for like natural born performers right and there's an energy that they bring and and you know, i see this in a, a lot of our talent backstage but i remember meeting the creeds and you know shaking their hands and like you could just they were really excited to get to know everybody and present themselves and then when you see them on camera too they, there was no hesitation there was no fear they were born to do this like you can just tell <laughs> and uh and i think that they have really bright futures is there anyone else I didn't mention in NXT 2.0 that you think has a big future? Um, I mean, we're introducing a lot of new characters right now. I think you're going to see more of Cora Jade. Um, she's somebody that is uh, really connecting with our audience. Uh, Persia Parati had a great night last night. Uh, she had to step up when she lost Indy Hartwell as a partner and do a two-on-one handicap match. And I was getting some, you know, Power Woman vibes from that match. It was awesome. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to discount the girls that have been working their butts off for a long time, like Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. I mean, I, I, I think that they're ready. I think Dakota Kai needs to be on Raw or SmackDown ASAP. Uh, you know, she's a leader. You can see it. I mean, as, a, and as, as an experienced wrestler and I'm watching her work, I'm like, she's such a leader. She should be in the mix. Um you know, and uh, on major pay-per-views. And so I look forward to seeing Dakota get that phone call because she does, she belongs there. Well, hopefully the Fox executives are watching this and they bring her over to SmackDown now because, I mean, it was a Fox show. Endorse, and, endorse, yeah, endorse. Yeah, you've got endorsement here <laughs> from Beth Phoenix, guys. So let's get Dakota Kai on Friday nights. I'm, I'm just saying. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did you learn most about what it takes to be a champion in WWE after winning the after winning the women's title for the first time? Oh, after, oh, you want to know like what, yeah, like, what it takes to be a champion? Yeah, oh, okay. People underestimate what it takes to be a champion in WWE sometimes. And I think when they get it, they realize that there's a lot more that comes with it than, than just holding a title belt. It's really simple. The, the real work begins when you become champion. That's when that like, so, you know, the one, the night that I won the championship, like I had the tears and I was overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my God, you know, girlhood dream. I'm, you know, visualizing myself as Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. And, you know, like I, I'm, I'm just going through all that. And then I wake up the next morning and 
I look over and the bag is, or excuse me, the championship belt is still sitting on my bag. I'm like, oh my God, that happened. Now what? And then I realized the job of the champion, it's, it's intense. You know, there's media obligations representing the company. I remember going to visit the office and seeing my picture on the wall, you know, as the female champion amongst the male champions and being like, oh my God, this is real. And then also I felt a lot of responsibility. Like they took a chance on, you know, a girl that was kind of out of the norm. I wasn't, I didn't come from a modeling background. I was, I was an indie wrestler. So I felt really responsible. Like, okay, you guys gave me the ball. I need to run with this. And um, I was given an opportunity to go on the live events. And also here's the other thing. I wasn't on television very long at the time that I won the title. They gave me like this meteoric rise and I won the championship. So when I was coming out on live events, people didn't know who I was. So I would come out and, and, you know, I would come out and I would think, Oh, I'm the champion. I'm going to come out. Every, this place is going to explode. And I would come out with the title and do my entrance. And I'm like, nobody is reacting. What's going on? Like, why doesn't, and you know, and I, I, it took me a little while to understand this, but I'm like, every night I have to teach, I have to show the audience who I am and what I am. And I started adopting that attitude every night on television, on pay-per-view. It doesn't matter. I can't assume people know who I am. It's a brand new night. I have to start from scratch every time I go out. So every night I would do, I would create a match. I would do the presentation of the Glamazon and I would have to, you know, educate the audience as to who this character was, even though I'm the champion and who my opponent was. And that's how, that was my philosophy, my entire career, even whatever, how many years I was into it. I never assume anybody knows who I am. I assume as a viewer, you're a brand new viewer. I'm going to teach you tonight who the Glamazon is and, you know, why I'm the girl to beat. So I feel like that's got to be was my attitude. I feel like that's got to be such a it must feel good then in those instances, if they didn't necessarily give you a huge reaction, if you had them by the end on the edge of their seat, like going all crazy and stuff for you. Well, I think that 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 is how I I got a good reputation in the company as a, a girl that could be trusted to work and perform, because by the end of the match, people were reacting. You know, I was also given the blessing of time on the live events like I could have a 15 minute match and I had wonderful opponents that were giving of their bodies so that we could tell the story of the, you know, the big, big, strong girl versus the underdog. And when we were able to tell that story and the the crowd was able to buckle in, then I know by the end, you know, every single time we were getting, you know, reaction, big reactions for the finishes and for, you know, the, everything thereafter. But it, but every night it was an education process. And also that came from like the, you know, the cha- shift in the women's division, because for a minute, the women weren't having matches. They were, you know, kind of being presented in, you know, bikini contests and uh, those types of sideshow acts. Santa's little so helper we were, contest and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Best bodies. I mean, I did those too. And uh, so whenever I had the opportunity to wrestle, I I was like, tonight, we're going to show this crowd. We're going to show them and we're going to snag them. And that just got the buzz going. When I interviewed Bianca Belair on here, I remember her talking to me about how she had a, a similar fear because, you know, her whole rise to the title happened without fans in attendance. So when she won the title at WrestleMania, then the live event started after that. And so her first live events in WWE were with her as champion. And she was like, it was so weird for me to start, you know, live events as champion and kind of like have to, you know, sell myself on the crowd and get them into me the whole time. 
Yeah, I mean, Bianca is so talented. I mean, she has all the tools to do that. But I mean, if, if I were to speak to young superstars coming up and, you know, and, and I, I would say this to our NXT talent as well, you know, when you're a brand new face coming up, just adopt that attitude. Every night I need to teach people who I am, who my character is. And and that's why if you have a really dialed in character that you understand, it makes that all the, all the more easier. You know what I mean? Like if you know who you are and what you're presenting and what you're selling, you're going to be able to do it like that and get and, and get the crowd reaction that you're you're looking for. What was your favorite thing and about Bianca? Working? No, no, go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. I, I, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say, but, you know, Bianca is beloved, but also her performance, what she can do in the ring, the, the crowd no matter what, are going to react to that. Well, you too. <laughs> you, you are similar in that regard. Don't undersell yourself there. Like, you did the same thing with people back then. So you guys are both on that Different, same level there. Differently. Differently. I've never done a 450 or shooting star press. But, but yeah, but again, like, if, if I could give advice to everyone, and even Bianca included, like, every night, assume every person sitting in those seats, it's a brand new audience. And that, that's how you hook everybody. What was your favorite thing about working with Natalia? With Natalia? Yeah. Oh, you mean against each other? Just or in general. To, what's your favorite thing about working with her? I got to work with my best friend. And also, like, so we got we traveled together. Even when we weren't wrestling or working together, we traveled together quite a bit. But it was so much fun because we have a lot of the same philosophies. You know, she she loves the history of wrestling, too. So we would always be putting in our own little, uh, like that picture, for example, that's a cosplay of Brett and Owen, a very famous picture of Brett and Owen in the headlock like that. And so we, we were always getting our own little Easter eggs in and um, and also just kind of, again, being a part of the transition um, between eras in the women's division and, uh, and, and, you know, Natalia has held the fort down long after I, I left. So um, it, what, what's not to like about being with your best friend and getting to laugh and cry and support each other when, when things were tough. It's also so wild and it must've been awesome for you to be working with a heart considering, you know, and, and having Bret Hart, in your corner eventually at WrestleMania, but considering, you know, Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania is like the thing that made you want to become a wrestler. Oh, I mean, full circle moments. My, my whole career is full of all these amazing, like closures and nice little bows. I, I, I think that's why I have so much satisfaction with my wrestling career. I did, I did the things I wanted to do, you know, and that my goals, like maybe there are bigger goals that a female could aspire to, but I checked my boxes and I was so proud of them. And yeah, and high-fiving. Okay. So imagine, you know, being a little kid and watching Bret Hart and being on the floor during a birthday party and screaming and yelling and, you know, just being invested in this superhero that's on TV. And then fast forward 25 years and I'm standing on the stage wearing pink and black, high-fiving my hero, and coming down to his entrance music. Like I was in a video game. I was literally in, playing Bret Hart in a video game as myself. And I mean, it was just so surreal. I can't tell you, we did the rehearsal earlier in the day for WrestleMania and we walked down the entrance like three times to the Hart Foundation music. Cause they were trying to figure out, do we play Natty's music, my music? And Natty and I were like, can we just walk down to the Hart Foundation music? And then I swear we rehearsed it like three times and I was like, can we, I think, can we just do it one more time? I didn't quite get it. You know what I mean? Like just to, <laughs> just to like live out all my, my fantasies and pretending, you know, just my, my childhood dreams. It was just wild. So wild. I can't even imagine what that must be like. I mean, it literally feels like you are living a dream at that point. 
Oh yeah. And you know, it, it's just, it's so crazy that, you know, my love for wrestling has brought so many wonderful people into my life. I mean, it just so happens that Natty's, you know, in the heart family and, and brings along all those cool connections, but she's, she's my best friend. And I, I got a best friend out of it. I got a husband out of it. I have my family because of wrestling. Wrestling's brought a lot of wonderful, beautiful things into my life. And yeah, I just, I'm so proud of, of that moment in particular. Well, you know, in talking about checking off your boxes, um, since you checked them off, so, you know, you checked them off, you checked off wrestling, you checked off having a family. Is that where music came about and doing your new album? Because it seems like music has been another low-key passion of yours for a long time. Yeah, so music's been a part of my life, you know, since I was a little kid. Uh, my mom sacrificed a lot to make sure I could take piano lessons. And I took piano lessons from the time I was five until, you know, I was leaving basically for, for college. And I had the same piano teacher, Diana Hall, who was wonderful and, you know, always made sacrifices so I could come and learn. And, you know, and at, at a time music funded my wrestling habit because, you know, I was working as a liturgical pianist playing funerals, weddings, masses. And, oh, wow. And, crazy. You know, yeah. So I was making money doing that and then taking that money and funding uh my wrestling habit putting gas in the gas tank and buying tights and boots and stuff and so it was kind of like this um it was like my side hustle beget my you know future hustle and uh it was great it was such a it was a fun time in my life and uh but music's always been there along the way i mean every every part of my day has a soundtrack to it depending on my mood i mean from pantera to gospel like there's there's all everything in between i love jazz i love classical um, so, you know, music's a huge part of my life. So getting to actually, you know, put something out in the world of my own music was definitely that big bucket list check mark as well. That seems nerve wracking. Like I've played drums since I was in high school, love music. Similarly, I'm always listening to music. I'm like a huge music person, but putting out like an actual piece of music seems very stressful. Oh, super stressful. I mean, I had the album done. I had taken the photos. I was, you know, we were working on like basically what date we were going to release it. And I almost bailed on the whole thing. I almost was like, this is going to suck. Everyone's going to laugh at me. Like, I'm not good enough. Like I, I got in my own head and I was just like, I, I can't do it. And Adam basically convinced me that it doesn't matter how it's received. It's none of your business what people think of this. All that matters is what you think of yourself. You worked really hard on this. You busted your butt to put this out. You wrote this, you know, you you recorded it, you you hustled. So he's like, put it out there and and don't be afraid of your, you know, who you are and what you love. Well. I love knowing that you got that he's that supportive and made that happen because that's super cool to hear because I understand what it's like to not want to release something so personal. I mean, I listened to the EP and it's it's clearly like, you know, things that are important to you or things that, you know, a piece of you in this music. And when you're putting your art out there into the world, it's like the most terrifying experience, especially when it's something that's not just like an article you wrote, but like a, a piece of music is is very personal. It is. And, you know, with social media, it, it, there's intimate feedback, just like there is with wrestling. You know, when when people say I suck on commentary, I see it. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's hard with the music. Like the reception is right there in front of you if you choose to look at it. So, um, you know, I just had to, again, kind of like I do with commentary, like take 
take the criticism with a grain of salt and understand I'm an entertainer. I'm putting my messages out there and it's not my business. If people like it or they don't like it, you know, that's their option, their choice to express themselves and just not take it personal and just be proud of the effort I put in, which is, again, the only thing that I can control. I busted my butt and uh, and I'm proud of that. Well, I, I think that that right there, you know, I what you just said makes sense. And I, it's why I liked it, because it was very personal in it. And I liked that it, it was clearly a piece of you and that it was something that you could tell you poured a lot of work into and it sounded good. I really enjoyed the album. Like it's like, I, like I, I'm like you very eclectic. I listen to slow music. I listen to fast music. I listen to rock. I listen to pop. And I felt like there was a nice balance of you in this album. And I, and you came across very well when you're listening to it. Well, thank you again. I had like an awesome crew helping me um, mix everything and record everything. So it, it was a team effort, just like everything in entertainment is like it takes a whole crew, a whole village to make a WWE superstar and the same with making an album and, and a musician. And uh, so I appreciate everybody that that helped me from, you know, creating the pictures to recording the in album stuff and to everybody that believed in me and along the way with wrestling or with music, uh, encouraging me to chase my dreams. You know, in having this whole conversation with you and, and watching your documentary while, pre while prepping for this, I feel like the, the song Find Your Why seems like a very appropriate title for your first single, considering everything we've talked about and how your journey is so much about you finding your why and getting to your dreams and, and accomplishing them. So it, it seemed like this was a very appropriate topic. Yeah, it definitely that, that it stemmed from a lot of those feelings. And, uh, you know, I put this little story on social media. Jeremy Borash kind of uh, got up super early in the morning to help me film the little video to put with that song um, just to give, you know, give it some context and content. And Jeremy did such a beautiful job. And um, so I'm in the ocean and uh, my little daughter, Ruby, had seen the video and she's like, mom, did you miss us when you were in the ocean with the why? You know, she was just in her own cute little voice saying it that way. And I just blurted out to her. I was like, baby, you are the why. You guys are my why, like the motivation for everything in my life and wanting to model um, going for the things that you love without fear and, you know, doing the things that make you happy. That's my why. I, I want to demonstrate that to my kids and then foster and encourage them to find their own whys and the things that um, that make them feel lit up and excited and bring happiness to them. Shout out to Jeremy Borash, too. Guy doesn't get enough credit, but he is so good at what he does. He's phenomenal. He contributes so much to NXT and, you know, he's, he's all over the place. He's in, you know, in our social media and, and his videography is beautiful. And again, like he, he did such a great job with that. He spent a lot of his own time editing that and making that beautiful video, video for me. And I, I'm so grateful. He's a very talented guy. I also like the, the song on the album, Woman Behaving Badly. I felt like I, I liked the upbeat factor of it. You know, some of the songs were kind of slower on, on the EP, but I liked that mm -hmm. one kind of had an upbeat vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. I, it was a song that I just kind of was like tongue in cheek about, you know, I think about us wrestling women, how, you know, I, I can only speak for myself, obviously, but maybe somewhat agree that we, ha we have to be a little rougher on the edges. You know, we're, we're a little tough exterior and, uh, you know, and we get ourselves into trouble sometimes. That's that's how, you know, our conflicts end up spilling into the ring and creating these dramas. And so I like that song because I feel like that taps into that part of myself where I, I can be a troublemaker. 
<laughs> All right, I got one question, and then I'm going to get into my closing questions. But I, I didn't want to not talk about your announcing at all. We got caught up in other things. Um, but who helped you most in finding your voice as an announcer? Oh, again, a village of folks. Um, you know, Tom Phillips was integral in in being a part of encouraging me and teaching me. Um, you know, Maro and Nigel being my partners for a long time and uh, being my support system when I, I just literally did not have any clue what I was doing. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, but Michael Cole has been my champion for so long, believing in me, giving me this opportunity, you know, sticking by my side, even when, you know, I like <laughs> I was just sucking top to bottom and uh, just encouraging me. And um, and now there that man right there, Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett, those two, I told them, you know, like I, I love my job, but they make my job fun. And uh, I have so much fun. Our production, our, you know, our producers, everybody's great, but it's my two, you know, my two partners beside me right now, Wade and Vic, I feel like our chemistry together as a team is, is perfect. And we're the, we're the right team for NXT. And I just love picking on Wade Barrett. It's one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and since wrestling is such a part of your life, has always been such a big part of your life, um, you know, and then you have this small time away, it must be such a joy for you to be able to continue contributing to the business in a new way and grow in an area that you probably never expected to be in. Yeah, massive. I didn't, I mean, I always knew the commentators were uh, a, a big part of our show, but our biggest role is, you know, as a wrestler, we only had to get ourselves over and, you know, worry about your segment and your match and your promo. As a commentator, it's our job to get everybody over. And it's our job to bring forward strengths and hide weaknesses and, you know, connect the dots if, if things go awry or don't go as planned. We have to cover injuries. There's a lot of responsibilities in the lap of the commentator, but most importantly, we're the, we're the voice of the audience. We're trying hard to represent what the audience wants to see and what the audience is feeling. We're trying to connect with them and resonate to say out loud what they may be thinking. So th there's a lot to that job that I just didn't understand in the beginning. And I, I feel like even just now in a couple of years, I'm just starting to crack the surface on what, uh, what my role is uh, as one of the voices of NXT. You know, in trying to be the, the audience voice, I, it, I, I feel like one of the things that I'll, I always find interesting with, with the announcers is how you have to watch the TV rather than what's going on in front of you, which has got to be so hard to do, I feel like. It's terrible. <laughs> and I was so bad at it. And I remember Vince, like... <laughs> I would get busted all the time when I started, like when I got to work with Vince in the production and him being like, Beth, look at the monitor, you know, and like just kind of like learning that, oh, because your eye is drawn to the ring. It's right in front of you where the noise and the action is not looking at the screen. But we were just talking about this Wednesday. Uh, we just had a little thing where um, a, a skateboard went flying. XT and uh you know it went right by Wade's head and we just had this conversation like so many times wrestlers are coming flying over our desk and I'm almost catching a foot in the face or something's hitting us because we're not looking up we're looking at the monitor and so like you're not completely aware of your surroundings uh and and in those moments you got to be ready to move out of the way <laughs> all right well I've gone a little long but I got to get to my closing questions here I like to end each episode talking to my guests about their finishing move. For you, obviously, that's the Glam Slam. So first, who's your favorite superstar to hit the Glam Slam on and why? So I had the opportunity to hit the Glam Slam on Dolph Ziggler. And if you know the talents of Dolph Ziggler, 
Uh, it was a live event, so I don't know even know if any footage of this exists. But man, he he took it so high and took that bump so crazy that that was one of my most memorable glam slams of all time. Uh, was the glam slam name inspired by the Prince song at all? Um, it was not. It was pretty much me, again, trying to brand my finisher. I was like, if nothing else, again, if I only have 30 seconds, I've got a moniker and a finisher. I'm the Glamazon and I hit the Glam Slam. And I tried to boil it down to be really simple and branded so that it would be something that the crowd could walk away with me like, what was that? What was that? Oh, the girl with the headband. She's the Glamazon and she does the Glam Slam. And if nothing else, that's how I wanted to make myself recognizable to our audience. I actually think that, that that combo of like nickname, finishing move, and just look is the three most important things of like a memorable character that's going to stand the test of time. You need to have like all three of those things. Yeah, I mean, think about when you were, you'd be going to play a video game and you're scrolling through the characters like that. That's kind of like what you're thinking. Okay, how am I going to beat my opponent? I want the coolest finisher, you know, and I want the person with the cool, you know, a real memorable look. And I was just trying to like build the character as if I was building a video game character. What would be the most appealing if I was a little kid, you know, playing 2K? And lastly, what's the most memorable time that you hit the Glam Slam? Um, I would have to say Madison Square Garden against Eve Torres on the top rope. Um, it was a move that we took a risk doing at that time. You know, the women were handcuffed a little bit more and uh, I even I took a chance and it ended up being one of the most memorable moments in my career, not only because I had Natty by my side, but it was in MSG where I, I had watched Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 10, the match that inspired me to become a wrestler. So it was, again, one of those awesome full circle moments. So it would be that glam slam number one. And a close second was hitting the glam slam on the eagle, on Jack Swagger's eagle. <laughs> because uh, I, I have to say, I've seen that memed many times and uh, I was pretty impressed at how awesome it looked. And I was really grateful that I didn't get PETA called on me. <laughs> All right, well, Beth, thank you so much for giving me the time today. I really enjoyed this conversation. And everyone watching or listening, make sure you guys go check out our EP, the Stone, Rose, and Bone EP. It's very good. Go check it out. It's on streaming services now. Uh, Beth, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Have a good one. That was the Glamazon. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Now, until next week, make sure that you go subscribe to Out of Character on whatever podcast platform that you listen to podcasts on, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Make sure that you go subscribe to this show on there and leave a rating or review if you can. It helps us out a lot. Also, go subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find this show every Monday, the whole show on video. We air it, we premiere it 9 a.m. every Monday. So make sure that you go subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. There's also clips from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT on there as well. Also, go follow WWE on Fox on social media as well. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we are on there, so make sure you follow us. Okay, that's it, I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character. For the best stories, easy to find scores and comprehensive team pages, plus access to every live Fox Sports game and exclusive bonus cameras, download the all-new Fox Sports app now.